before I start a sermon this morning, let me encourage you on a couple things. On the bottom of the bulletin, you'll see on the left side, um, opportunities for everyday sharing. It says, share God's love by taking our director of missions out for lunch. Um, this is a good way to thank Brother Bill for all that he does. And if you can, if you can't do lunch, uh, try to take him and Miss Linda out for a dinner uh, one time. They would really appreciate it. It would be a wonderful opportunity for, for you to say thank you to him for all that he does. And the second um, thing that I was, I was just thinking of when I called uh, Jacob Bean the wrong, or Jared Bean the wrong name, I did it again. I don't know why. I, I'm going to just change your name to Jacob. Um, went to the football game on, on Friday night and uh, saw several church members there watching the football game. And... Um, that is really encouraging to see uh, church members and Christians going and showing support to our high school uh, athletes, the sports, uh, maybe it's the band, um, the soccer game. I know when we go and watch Maya uh, play soccer, and we'll, it's, it'll be a home game or whatever, and we'll see a lot of folks there from other churches who will come, and it's not their kids that they're watching. And that is really encouraging that, that folks would take the time out of their week uh, pay the fee to get in, uh, whatever it is, what's it, $5? $5 to get in, and watch some kid who's not your kid uh, play a sport that they're probably not going to be pro at. Um, Jared, I'm, I mean, you might do it, right? Uh, but, no, okay. <laughs> uh, but it's really encouraging to show our, our kids and young people that we really love them and support them. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Uh, it's, it's awesome when you look in the stands and you see so many Christians out there. Um, so you, you all, with, that, with that said, when you look in the stand, you realize that there's not going to be that much language when you see all those church members there most of the time. Doesn't that guy go to church at such and such? No, no, he doesn't. No. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going through Ephesians chapter 4 for four weeks. And last week we talked about what? What was, our, what was the main gist of last week's sermon? We're talking about what? Spiritual warfare. We're talking about main, the main deal was unity. Unity in the church. Um, and this is why we have this in the bulletin. Because if you go through our, our, the, the discipleship material we use, I think it's within the first one or two lessons, it talks about how we don't remember anything. And like after 72 hours, we've forgotten. And here's how bad it is. I will prepare for this message like all week long. And then on Monday, someone will say, hey, what would you preach on Sunday? And I'm like, uh, what, what was that? Right? I've already moved on to the next thing. And this is not even 24 hours. And I'm the one who preached and studied. Now, I'm probably an anomaly. Most pastors could probably tell you exactly what it was. Uh, but, you know, I've got to think like that. And so that's one of the reasons why we want to take notes and we want to write and listen and have our Bibles. I know we have the Bible on the screen, uh, but if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bible, uh, on your phone or on your tablet. That way we're reading it, we're listening to it, and we're taking it in in these many different ways. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, and in your bulletin, on your outline, you'll see that 
we're going to look at, the main idea today is that all believers have spiritual gifts. I was talking with a couple of guys that I do discipleship with this week that, uh, that they need to learn about their spiritual gifts. If you are a born-again believer, you have something. God has given you something. And a lot of times the problem is that we just don't know what that is just yet. Maybe we haven't tried to discover it. We haven't sat down and said, okay, I'm gifted in this one area. And a lot of times, because we don't realize that there's uh, lists and things like that in, in the rest of the Bible, we might look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we might go, well, I'm not gifted in those areas at all. And so where does that put me? So the Bible tells us that we will have spiritual gifts, and we'll look at those in today's uh, message, in today's lesson. But in this context right here, we see that God has given these gifts right here specifically for the church. These gifts are specifically for the church body. Now, one thing that I love about the, uh, my, my seminary where I'm doing my, my work is that they've done some rebranding, and they've done, redone their vision statement within the last, I don't know, five or ten years. And when you look at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, every time, you say, every time they say the words, uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, they always say these three words after it, for the church, for the church. Everything that they do at that seminary, it's not for seminarians, it's not for scholars, it's not for whatever you, it's not for whatever little thing, it's for the church. People are going to that seminary to get equipped to come back and lead in local churches to give back for the local church. And that's one of the reasons why we have our vision statement for Concord. We're going to magnify the Lord, we're going to make disciples, and we're going to multiply through evangelism. And everything that we do here at Concord needs to fall under one of those three things. And if we're doing something that we can't find a way for it to fall into one of those three, three things, guess what we're going to do with that thing? We're not going to do that anymore. And that might be hard for some of us because there's a C word that we don't like. What is it? You watch your mouth. Change. Barbara hit, hit the second one. Wasn't you? Okay. So we don't, we don't like change. But that's, we were doing that anyway. But we, we want to be very, very intentional about what we're doing. So Ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to look in this specific context about the gifts that Christ gave for the church, if I can borrow Midwestern's uh, catch line, their, their little catchphrase there. And verses 7 through 16 says this, and I'm reading today out of the NASB, so I think on the screen is the same as me, or you might have a little something different, uh, but follow along the best you can. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some of his, as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure 
of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And Father, I pray that as we glean these truths from Scripture, that we might apply them to our lives and we might learn about partial, uh, the partial spiritual giftings uh, for the church Father, I pray that we might encourage those who have these gifts. Father, I pray we might be thankful for those who have went on before us. And Father, I pray that we would prepare well those uh, leaders in ministry who lead others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first truth we'll look at in your outline is we'll see that Christ gives all gifts. Christ gives all these gifts, and these are verses 7 through 10 in your outline, and we'll Look at those. In 7 through 10, he says, But to each one of us a grace has been given for the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave uh, gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, who also ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Now, I think it'll be on the screen, so you won't have to flip through with your Bible. But on Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, we see a description of the rest of the gifts. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. So let's go through these uh, other scriptures real quick, and we'll look at these other gifts that they list before coming back to the gifts for the church. And the reason why he's doing this, giving these gifts, Christ, is for each member so we can be built up, And these specific ones that we'll talk about in Ephesians are for the church so the church can exercise their gifts appropriately so we can be built up and minister effectively. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10 and 28. What we see are the gifts of a word of wisdom. Somebody has a gift of a word of wisdom. Now, this is not the person who comes up and says this. Now, let me tell you something. Okay, that is not a gift of wisdom right? That's not a gift you really want to even listen to when you hear, now let me tell you something. What happens to me when I hear that is I do, I go into the automatic mode of this, right? I'm not listening to anything you're saying. It's just my head's going up and down. I'm waiting for you to finish. And when you're done, I go, okay, right? That's not a word of wisdom is from the Lord. It's scriptural. And the person who has the gift of the word of the wisdom They'll come up and they'll say, hey, I have this word of wisdom from, let me show you what scripture says, right? It's done in love. It's not the, let me tell you something attitude, right? It's not done in hate. 
And it may be correction. It may be correction. But it's done in love. The word of wisdom. The word of knowledge. The word of knowledge. You know, I would say that our seminary professors would have this gift. The gift of knowledge. Uh, Christy and I had New Testament with this one guy. He was an absolute walking encyclopedia. And he told us he thought in first century Greek. This is how much of a biblical nerd, I guess, he, he is. The word of knowledge. Somebody that when, when you say something and they say, oh, that's in Scripture, and they can give you all these different Scriptures, that you're like, how do you do that? That's a gift from God. That is a gift from God. Um, Christy will tell you that when I surrendered to the ministry, that something changed. That when God gifted me for, for this, um, it wasn't like all of a sudden overnight I, I knew stuff, but it kind of was a little bit. She said, you know, like a week ago, you didn't, where'd this come from, right? It's a gift of God. And I'm not saying I have the gift of knowledge. I really don't think I do. The gift of faith. Uh, the gift of faith is another one we see in 1 Corinthians. And some of us have that and some of us don't. Some of us are, are more of the, I don't know, you know, it's, eh, it might happen. And then the, other, the one who has a gift of faith says, yes, this will happen. This, God is going to take care of this. Trust in God. And again, it's biblical. It's biblical trust. It's not just something we're throwing out to the wind hoping it happens, but it's biblical faith, the gift of healing. This is one of those dangerous gifts that we don't see exercised correctly much at all. I, I hear this, people who have this gift, and they'll say, you know, I have the gift of healing, and if you want to be healed, you come to our service. Right? But the rest of the week, you're like, I don't know. So it just happens right here when the deacon's around and they can catch you. I don't, I don't know. Right? The gift of healing. But friends, people have the gift of healing, and they'll pray over you. They'll lay hands on you. They might anoint you with oil. God heals through people. Maybe you have that gift, and you're like, I'm not telling everybody because everybody's going to come. But you know, the, gift, the person with the gift of healing is going to go according to what God says. Listen to this. It's not a willy-nilly. Uh, Michael Putman was telling me this week, he, he, he texted me in the name of this evangelist, uh, and he says, for a love offering of $1,000, you can get healed of whatever. Right? That's a lot cheaper than my deductible. Right? I'll do that. Right? You guys know me, in February or, or January, I'll start having some asthma problems. I'm going to send that guy a grand, and then I'll be healed. So that would be good. The gift of prophecy and prophets. The gift of prophecy and prophets. I'm reading a book right now. I've told many of you last week, I've quoted some of it by Nick Ripkin, The um, Insanity of Obedience, I believe it is. And this gift right here, he says in the non-believing world, uh, in the third world countries, especially among Muslims and Hindus, God is giving this gift of prophecy, revealing things to those, that people group and showing them who he is. How can people come to the Lord without us going to them or without having a scripture for them to read? Things like this. Things like this where God might give something to a believer or a non-believer to where he says this over and over and over. And it's contrary to their faith, but it's what the Bible says. And they get saved, and then they go, wow, that's what was happening. We don't see that a lot in our culture 
The gift of tongues. We don't see that a lot in the Baptist culture, do we? If you have this gift, don't raise your hand. Okay? Because we don't want to go with some kind of craziness right now. But if you have this gift, I'm not a, a, a cessationist. I don't believe that, that this gift has been closed off. But I do believe that God uses this gift specifically at times for his glory, not for yours in a church service to where you get up and you scream Shamalama Ding Dong and everybody's blessed. Okay? Because the next gift we'll look at in 1 Corinthians is the interpretation of tongues. So when Norman stands up and he does the Shamalama Ding Dong, there better be someone in here with the interpretation of tongues in a public service. Friends, that's biblical. The Bible says that. So if we hear the Shamalama Ding Dong, we need to be listened to for, hey, this means this. And it's for the church. It's not just a God is blessing type of thing like, a, like we see uh, falsely practiced in our culture. We see the gift of apostles in Corinthians. We see the gift of teachers, deeds of power, forms of assistance, and forms of leadership in 1 Corinthians 12. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, we see the gift of prophecy. We see the gift of prophecy again mentioned. We see the gift of ministry. The gift of teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and showing mercy. You ever met somebody with the gift of giving? If you're married to somebody with the gift of giving, they will want you to be broke. They, they, they have a heart for everything, right? They want to give to everything. The gift of mercy if you have the gift, if you really have the gift of mercy, you kind of hurt. It's not like, oh, bless their heart, or, you know, I feel a little bad about that. You really, you really hurt for, for these people. The gift of leading, exhortation, you can't help it. You've got the gift of leading. You are a leader, and people follow you. The gift of exhortation, it's done in love, and not screaming, and we talked about a little bit in Sunday school, that guilt, Right? Like Brother Toby would be up preaching and you all feel guilty about what you've not done or done throughout the week. That's not what the gift The gift of exhortation is taking Scripture, explaining it such a way and exhorting you, right? Encouraging you to do what Scripture says. So the gifts we're talking about today is in Ephesians 4, 11. They are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now what we see in 7 through 10 is a traditional expounding of Scripture by Paul. A traditional expounding of Scripture by Paul. He takes Psalm 68, 18, and he teaches it to the listeners right here. Now check this out for your convenience. This is a messianic psalm of victory. Psalm 68, 18 says, You have ascended on high, you have led uh, captive your captives, you have received gifts among men even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, Paul is teaching that Christ, he came or descended, right? He, he came to us, that he, he died and he experienced death for us, for us. He came on purpose, this messianic psalm of victory. It's not a funeral dirge. It's, a, it's an exciting thing that he did for us. 
He came down, he lowered himself for us. Either way, what Paul is saying here is he conquered death and has victory in our lives through what he did. Not who we are, but who he is. Who we are in him. Therefore, we as born-again believers need to fulfill his mission for us in the world. In the world. And what he's talking about right here, the mission for these four or five groups, is for the church. So, let's look to apostles. Let's look to prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers next on your outline. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. He gave these specifically to the church. We'll look at apostles first. These were immediate followers of Jesus and Paul. These were immediate followers of Jesus and Paul. Okay? Prophets were the ones who spoke revelation from God. Revelation from God. God. It's not the same thing as a gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Now listen to this. Ephesians 2.20 says, we read that the foundation of the church was laid down by the apostles and the prophets. Therefore, this gift right here was not a perpetuating one. It was laid down, this foundation, and now the rest of them are going to be built up on top of that. Traditional Orthodox Christianity believes that there were these apostles, there were these prophets, they gave us the word of God, and now there's no more. Because otherwise we could do a Joseph Smith, right? We could, you guys could find some gold tablets, you know, in your backyard, and we could have continuing revelation. And that's what you'll hear when you speak with the Mormon crowd. 1 Corinthians 12.10 says, To another, the affecting of miracles, and to a prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, various kind of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. And we read um, 2.20 while ago. The evangelist is someone who announces the gospel. Somebody who announces the gospel. They train the church for evangelism. We have traveling evangelists. We have church planters, missionaries in areas where the gospel is not preached. Now again, this is, we see a very, very sick example of evangelists in our current church. When we think about the evangelist in our current church, we think of somebody who comes on like during a revival or a special deal, and they give an evangelistic message, and that's kind of what they do. The New Testament doesn't teach that. Since it's for the church, what do you imagine that the, evangeli- the evangelist would do? They would not only preach, they would proclaim the good news. Well, what else would they do? They would teach evangelism. What else? They would encourage evangelism, right? They might come up with ideas to say, hey, let's go reach this, this group right here, okay? Um, it's huge that we have biblical evangelists, and we don't see that. To be honest with you, and it's probably because I don't know them well enough, but I don't know a single, I take that back, my seminary professor of evangelism, he, has, he is gifted. I mean, obviously, he has this gift. He exemplifies what you would see the Bible teaching, um, the gift of evangelist. He will preach. He teaches from God's word. He takes people out. 
he's very much in front for the church with the gift of evangelists. Huge. Pastor, teacher. We kind of look at these as, as two different ones, but if we're reading the Bible correctly, it's the same. There's, they're one in the same due to the sentence structure in the original language through the word uh, and is used here. Here the word pastor literally means shepherd. It literally means shepherd right here. Acts 20 and verse 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And what I see from these verses right here is that we, we can't confuse these, but we kind of do. And when we read Ephesians chapter 4, we realize that these are for the church. We kind of confuse these, especially when it comes to, whoops, especially when it comes to evangelism or the gift of evangelists. We'll say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so that precludes me, that, that excludes me from doing evangelism. Well, that shows that we're poor biblicists. We're, we're terrible at expounding Scripture when we say that because the rest of Scripture tells us to what? To do that. You might not be gifted at, in, as an evangelist to preaching or teaching, but it does not say that you're, you get an out because you're not gifted in this manner. Ephesians 4.12 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up, of the body of Christ. Now let's build let's break this down just a moment here and we'll look through six of these as we look through um, Ephesians 4:12 equipping. This means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient at something. Right? So this is what these group are supposed to do. We're supposed to be making the the church adequate or sufficient at doing this. Training the church for this. This is why we want to spend so much time on biblical training, on the Bible. Friends, if you're not coming to Bible study, if you're not in Bible study with another person, with a group, if you're not in discipleship, really you are stifling yourself. Not only that, you're hurting the body. If we call ourselves Christians and we're not learning God's word, we're not absorbing God's word, we're hurting the body of Christ, equipping Number two, it talks about saints. That's why I felt so bad when they, when they gave Mother Teresa that sainthood. Because it's, it's right here. If she was a born-again believer, she'd already be a saint. That's what you are. If you're a born-again believer in Christ, you are a saint. The ones who are called God's people. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. We are saints. We might not act like it sometimes. But in God's eyes, we are saints. And guess what? You don't have to do two or three miracles. Right? God did that for you. And he put them and said, here you go. Right? There it is. You're a saint. Number three, work. I think that's Beverly's favorite word. Right? My back hurts. You know what you need? Some work. Right? That'll take care of that. Some work. Uh, giving responsibility to his servants, each one to his particular work, Mark 13 34. If we're a born-again believer, again, a brother and sister in Christ, we're to go to work. What's the Bible say if we don't work? We don't what? We're talking about believers here. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. 
talking about in a church where when we go out, that our absolute being, when we call ourselves a Christian and we leave here and we don't work and the community knows that we're a Christian, the church does some discipline. No, we're not going to take care of you because you're not feeding yourself when you can. That's a, that's a form of church discipline right there. Service, to render assistance or help by performing certain duties. Now listen to this part, often humble or menial. Often humble or menial. This is where we say, well, I, you know, I've got this training and someone else who's a little lower can do that. No, do that thing. Right? Take care of that thing. When we see a need, do it. Right? We're adults. We teach kids that. But even as Christians, we have to say, okay, we have got to do the humble work of the church. You know what? When I walk in the bathroom and I see paper on the floor, I pick it up. You just pick it up. Right? I can't help myself. I was at the uh, homecoming game. Maya was getting ready. I went into the men's room. And one of the boys had got a brand new tie or a bow tie or something and left their packaging all over the floor. Pick it up, right? Because you know who has to pick that up if I don't? Jimmy. And Jimmy picks up plenty of things, right, Maya? Building up. This has the essence of a purpose. This is a result of service. How in the world can we expect to be built up if we're not serving? I'm not getting anything. I'm not learning. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting from this. Well, you know what? You're not doing anything. So why would you? Right? I didn't learn anything from that class. You, you didn't put the work in. You didn't read. Right? You didn't study. Right? If you want an A, do an A worth of work. I remember when, when I was going to seminary, they said to get an A, you had to write the paper. Right? The big paper. And I'd say, well, what happens if you don't write the paper? Well, you get a B. I'll take the B. You don't want an A? No. <laughs> I don't want to write a 20-page paper. Thank you. A B is wonderful. I will take that. The body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. If we are Christ's body and individually members of his body, God is equipping us for the work of ministry to go do that ministry. What happens as a result? You'll see the final truth in your bulletin. What happens as a result? Number one, we grow up. We grow up. We got a church full of kids. And Ephesians 4.14 says that as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. I like the NIV translation on this one better. They use the word infant for children. They use the word infant. And that Greek word, it literally means somebody no more than three or four years old. Now, how does a three or four-year-old act? Corey, you know about that. They act wonderful all the time, right? They do their chores. They pick up their underoos from the, from the ground. They always put their cereal. They always uh, eat, drink all the milk, right, and put their plate in the thing. And he's talking to you, He's talking to me right here, saying, hey, don't act like kids. Stop acting like an infant. You're a grown person. You're a grown man. You're a grown woman. Stop acting like infants. So no longer are we 
oh, I'm going to run over and do this, or I'm going to run by this. There's somebody that says this weirdness, and we go, oh, that might be true. No, we're grown-ups in the Word, and so we realize that that's not right. I was in a prayer group this week that um, while the prayer was happening, I thought, you know, I, this is not right. And why would that be? Because I know what Scripture says. When people pray things, and you're like, that's not according to God's Word. So I prayed my own deal, you know, quietly, according to God's Word. And how do we know that? Because we're studying God's Word. We're no longer children, expecting someone to feed us. You know, give me a steak and a potato, and go ahead and do this. You remember that at House Church, Frank was doing that? And he would kind of say, here's my plate, fix my plate for me. Three or four-year-olds are selfish. And guys, i got to say it, in the Western church is full of this. We are full of kids and infants in our Western church. Hebrews 5.13 says this, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. For he is an infant. Now notice the main concern here. It is not so much our inwardness, because that, that is a concern, our inwardness. The main concern is that somebody will fall in belief for something else and fall away from the gospel. Right? We can deal with, we can deal with kids, right? Because we do. We repaint the walls, we clean up the floors, we take, we take care of the kids. And as Christians, we have Christian kids, and we can take care. That's not, it's, it's a concern if we stay a kid too long, but the real concern is that someone will see this other deal and go, oh, let me run to that, right? Let me run away from the good news and the gospel message. We speak truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. The body grows, Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is what I akin to Christian miracle grow, right? When you put miracle grow or, or fertilizer on plants, I, for the first time in my life, I'm 39 years old, and I had peppers this year. You know why? They love fertilizer. Right? Every year I grow peppers, and I can't get them to go. This year I fed those rascals every single week. There's a scriptural principle there, right? isn't it? Right? When we do these things, it's amazing. We grow. And for the ones who complain, well, I'm not getting anything, or I'm not doing anything, or I'd just rather not do, we're not taking that spiritual miracle grow. We're not in the Word. We're, we're planting those peppers every single year and wondering why they're not growing. Right? We're not taking it in. And there's a couple reasons for that. One reason is we're babies. Some of us are just babies. We're brand new Christians. We don't know any better. Uh, maybe we're brand, we're, we're, we've been babies a little bit too long. Okay? The other reason is, is we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We come and we expect this big spiritual kind of thing that someone else is supposed to give us through preaching, through music, 
and our hearts are supposed to be uplifted, and then we kind of like carry that through the week, and that's supposed to be our Christianity. When Christianity is Jesus forgiving you of your sins, you repenting of your sins, realizing that in yourself there is nothing good. All the goodness lies in Christ. All that we have to offer is not, not good. And we say, okay, God, we are not good. You are good. You've provided for us. You say it's a free gift. I accept that gift. I repent of my sins. I believe in you. And the third part is what we don't do very good at. Confess him as Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior means we do what he says. When we read this, we say, you know, I'm not sure I like that a whole lot. But since I'm born again, I'm, I'm different. I'm going to do that. And guess what? God changes your yont to. He changes your yont to. And then you actually want to. Brandon, you do a better job at that, I guess, but I'm not terrible at that. I'll get you next time. If you're here today, let me encourage you, if you're in that first set, get in God's Word. Get in God's Word. The second set, come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time of looking in your Word. Father, I pray for those who are here today who do not know you as their Savior. Uh, they've looked at this, that, and the other, and they cannot find peace. Um, the bad news is that they'll never find peace. They will die um, always looking for that peace. And then when they do, they're going to stand before you, a righteous judge, who's going to judge them righteously and to say, apart from me, I did not know you. We'll be separated from God and from heaven for all eternity with this weeping and gnashing of teeth. And God, we don't want that for anybody. You don't want that for anybody. And I pray right now, that if anybody here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come and repent of their sin, they would trust in you, and begin a life of following you and learning what you say. Lord, I pray they might do that during this time of invitation, hang out and talk to me after church. But Lord, most of all, that they would repent and turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.